It's a privilege to be here with you guys this morning, uh, and I've been looking forward to this for a while, not just to meet these guys that are going to be heading to Radius in a, a few, a uh, couple months here, uh, but to meet uh, some of you folks too. Uh, this uh, area honestly has quite a reputation going before it in the sense of uh, some incredible folks have been raised up from here to go to the nations and uh, to finally get to be here, spend some days, and to, to, to get a feel for the neighborhood, you might say, uh, the community, the churches, some of the homes that uh, uh, people are coming out of. Uh, man, just a, a real honor for Beth and I to be here for a few days. Uh, even when I see that video, and I've seen it a few years uh, now, I, I, I ask myself, uh, why do we do it? Uh, and maybe you're asking that. Why, why do people leave San Diego? That's where I'm from. My wife's from Michigan. Uh, why do people leave Orange City? Uh, why do people leave uh, Northwest Iowa? Why do people leave Southern California, Alabama, Kentucky? Why do they leave their homes uh, <clears throat> and uh, loved ones and uh, careers? Uh, why do people do that? Uh, I know as a kid, uh, my mom used to take me to Sunday school. My dad made me do that. I was born in San Francisco. My dad was at the Navy. And uh, he didn't go to Sunday school, he didn't go to church, he wasn't a believer, but he was a good American, and so he made me go to Sunday school with my mom. And uh, I remember once in a while, there'd be a missionary once a year, it seemed like he came in there, and uh, he, he, <clears throat> they'd get up front and they'd do their talk, and, and all I could, uh, I wondered, why would you do that? Why would you leave America? Wherever you're from, dude, I don't care, but why would you leave America and go to that place? Uh, man, didn't you have any friends? Uh, did people beat up on you a lot as a kid? Couldn't you get a real job? Uh, I, I just could not figure out why somebody would, would do that. Of course, I wasn't a Christian, and the words of Jesus meant nothing to me. And, uh, man, I'm just all about having fun as a kid. <clears throat> and then uh, um, we moved to San Diego. My dad got transferred down there and um, grew up uh, about two miles from the ocean. I moved down there when I was junior high. Grew up surfing my brains out, loving life. And, uh, again, for little kids in Southern California at that point in the uh, time, uh, surfing was everything. Uh, got onto the high school surf team. That was an even bigger thing. Yeah, you can make the football team, wrestling team, basketball team. But to make the high school surf team, that was, uh, man, you got good girls, good times, good parties, uh, good buddies. Uh, everything came your way if you're on the high school surf team. There were six of us. And... Uh, <clears throat> to get to represent your school from our high school football field and I'm still not a believer uh, from our football field you could see the ocean and if the waves were big uh, when we drove to the beach uh, we, we didn't do drugs on the way to the beach because that way our minds could work really good because if the waves are big uh, you don't want to be screwing around with the water like that but if the waves are small we do doobies on the way to the beach and that made the small waves seem more exciting and uh, so we're uh, it's a small day we knew we all knew that and so I'm driving light up and I hand it to my best friend and I'm a junior in high school and Adrian my best friend he looks over at me he says Brad I, I don't do that anymore I became a Christian <laughs> like what the heck? Man, I knew what being a Christian was. I'd gone to Sunday school a few times. I knew John 3.16, okay? And this guy didn't have any background. He didn't even know all the stuff that we were currently doing. We had girlfriends and everything else. We're all, we're, we're all going to burn in hell. I knew that. He didn't even know that. Now he's become a Christian, and I know that everything we had planned for the weekend, that's off. And uh, <clears throat> the next uh, week, he came to school, and uh, he starts trying to witness to me. Oh, my gosh, give me cancer now. It was horrible. Uh, he, he didn't even know John 3.16. He had no clue what he was talking about, so I shut him down hard. After, uh, after a, a couple attempts like that, he invited me out to this youth group. And, uh, and I knew it was going to be a youth group thing, but he's my best friend. He's going on and on and on about this guy. you got to come hear this guy. And uh, it turns out uh, I roll into this uh, church parking lot for the first time in years. I'm in a church parking lot. It's a Wednesday night. And I walk into this thing. It turns out I didn't know this. It was the biggest youth group in Southern California. Between 500 and 1,000 high school guys coming every night to listen to this guy. And uh, 
he, uh, I remember him uh, standing up and, and as he uh, got into his uh, message, and he wasn't an impressive guy at all. He's really old for one thing. He was about 40 years old. He, he was a pencil neck. He didn't, he wasn't an athlete. He actually had glasses. Uh, he, it was not cool, and so that, you know, I was trivial. I was shallow, and that, and that meant a lot to me. And, he, and, and I'm figuring the guy's going to really connect with the crowd. He's really got to have some great one-liners because your look isn't doing it, dude. You know, that's not happening. And, uh, you know, this is before tats and all that stuff. He's not even making an attempt to, to connect in the visual end of things and so I'm thinking he's got to have some real connecting one-liners and stuff like that he opens up his bible and he starts throwing down I mean throwing down hard and within five minutes I'm ticked and nobody talks to me like that I break guys like you at my school man he he just infuriated me he infuriated me he started going on about sin and heaven and hell and righteousness and judgment and what it's going to be like to stand before a holy God when he sentences you to burn forever for your sins Dude, get out of my face. I'm not in the mood to take on stuff like that. I'm getting furious with this guy. After about 15 minutes, he turns from the generic sin and judgment into the sins that he knew were out there in a crowd like that. And again, that night, there were about 700 folks there. <clears throat> the majority of that youth group was guys. He's talking to guys, and he's killing me. He's just killing me. Uh, I'm, staring, I'm sitting in the very back staring daggers at this guy. I know he can't see me. I just want, want him to see a face so he doesn't even know I'm there. But it felt good to stare hate at him. And uh, about 15 minutes, then he starts getting into the specific sins. 15, 20, 25 minutes. About 25 minutes into it, I realize this guy's not going to slow down. He doesn't care that I hate him. And he really believes what he's talking about. And, um, <clears throat> and, and I, I heard the gospel for the first time that night. And I would come back... And I, would, uh, I made a decision, I'll come back and I'll listen to you. And I did. I came back and listened to that guy every night for over six months. And you know how that man presented the gospel, kept me from becoming a Christian uh, for over six months? And I'm so grateful for his courage, his bravery, his desire not to build a big youth group. He was going to create followers of Jesus, not a big youth group. And so how that guy presented the gospel, when he did, which was once or twice a month, he didn't, most of the time he was talking to Christians, but how he shared the gospel, I'll share it with you guys. It basically went like this. What Christ did on that cross, there's nothing you can do to add to it. His blood pays for your sin. It's a done deal. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. All you can do is fall on your knees and say, thank you, God, and accept it as the gift that it is. But you do need to understand that once you accept that gift, your life is over. You have no future. You have no rights. It's all about him from that moment on. So think it through. Think it through. It made total sense. He's opening his Bible. He's reading things like, any man comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. made total sense. The only problem was, I love my life. I really love my life. I had a great life. Now it's the end of my junior year. I got elected captain of our school surf team. I'm doing contests for our school outside of the school. Got my hot little girlfriend. Everything's great. I love my life. I want to be forgiven, but I don't want God taking a ding out of my life. I stink and love my life. And I'm so glad for this man's audacity to paint it as if there is no option. And there is. Jesus didn't have a plan B. Jesus didn't have a, well, this is what I'd really like, but if you only want to accept me on this other basis, no. Come and die. Come and die. Come and die. That's the only thing Jesus ever threw out to those who listen to him. We can find a lot of different messages out there today, but when Jesus does the talking, I don't come along for the ride. I take lives over. That's what I do. I am the God of heaven. He made that so clear. Beginning of my senior year, I just, honestly, guys, I got tired of knowing I was going to burn and go to hell for my sin. I didn't want to become a worshiper of God. I, was, I knew that I was going to burn in hell. 
And I became a Christian. I didn't know what that would mean. I wasn't thinking about that. Missions? Are you kidding me? I, I did get up. I remember getting off my knees and I realized my sin's forgiven. I'm not going to pay for my sin, man. That was, that's never left me to this day. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Heaven is a sure deal. I'm not hoping for it. I'm banking on it. And to, and to have that realization, guys, and I, I hope that that's not some Sunday school idea. Oh, yeah, when I was a kindergartner. And I know some of you got saved when you were in Sunday school. And little kids, that's great. We're forgiven for whether you got saved. Like my wife, when she was in the womb, she got saved. Okay? She had great Christian parents. Or you got saved you know, yesterday, last night. Whatever the case, you're forgiven. You're not going to burn in hell for your sin. Don't let that become some ancient of days thing. That thing guided me. I began to listen to this youth pastor with, with a different set of ears. And he was talking about people groups like this. He, was ta- he, he, he told later on, he said, my plan was to see our youth group be an aircraft carrier. People got saved. They came in, discipled, and sent out, sent out, sent out. And he did. The whole thing, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This, this whole concept of not living for ourselves stems from this but it's talked about all throughout the new testament the apostle paul writes this in second corinthians chapter 5 he says this in verse 15 and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them was raised again should no longer live for themselves you're crucified we have no right to live for ourselves he says it a different way in first corinthians chapter 6 he says we are bought with a price we're owned by another. Our bodies don't belong to us. I remember when I got saved, I had a bunch of guys coming up to me. And they were believers much longer than I was. And I looked at them with a sense of awe that they knew a lot about the Bible. I knew nothing. And they would tell me things like, that's so cool. Brad, you ought to surf for Jesus. You know, as a captain of the school surf team, man, having great times in the water. I love that idea. <clears throat> I got to tell you guys, that like, really? I could surf for Jesus? Because Vaughn, that was a youth pastor, he's talking about coming and dying. Well, that's not too hard to die that way. I kind of think that's okay. I love that idea. I'll serve for Jesus. When I win a contest, I'll flip my board around. I'll have Jesus airbrushed into the back of the board there. Give Jesus all the credit. Yeah, it's all him. And a little bit of ego for me too. Best of both worlds. I love that idea. Except for that stinking youth pastor. You know what we called him behind his back? We called him the youth pastor from hell. Because nobody really liked Vaughn. He wasn't our buddy. He never showed up at our parties. He didn't put his hand on your shoulder. Oh, how you doing? Is your daddy still hitting? No. He was teaching us God's word. He was calling us to discipleship, real discipleship. Some of the things we're talking about, Jesus will make you brave. He expected that of you. It's not about you. It's not about your safety. It's not about your future. What does God want to get done? That was his whole thing. And where do you fit into it? So this morning, guys, I just want to kind of turn the direction. Why? That my wife and I, and she's from Michigan, her mother and father raised her as an offering to the Lord Jesus. I know like many of your folks raised you in the same way. <clears throat> she's somewhat expected to do this. This was a, a whipsaw for me. I had a youth pastor. But at the same time, whatever background we come out of, the ultimate issue is this. What does God want to accomplish? And where do you fit into God's plan? It's not about your passion. Please hear me correct. I don't know if I have time to get into this completely this morning, but folks, the world has changed. Historically, the way you found the will of God was to look into God's word, what is he all about, and where do I fit into his plan? 
I kid you not, somewhere in the last 30 years, and this is a new thing, in the last 30 years this has changed. No longer do we look into God's word and find out what he's about and get involved in his plan. Do you know what we do today in this day and age? And it didn't happen last year or five years ago. It's been going on. We no longer look there. We look here. What am I good at? What am I passionate about? What gets me excited? What gets me off? Find out what you're passionate about and do it for God. Well, let's think about that. Let's just take a minute and think about that. What if Jesus would have operated on this new methodology? What if Jesus would have looked inside himself and then followed his passion? Well, let's think about this one. When Jesus in the garden, is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he looks at the cross coming 24 hours ahead, what does he say? He falls to his knees and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I would rather not go to the cross. I'm not passionate about getting nails in my hand. I'm not gifted at that. That doesn't get me off. I'm not excited about that. But folks, he finished that prayer like you and I need to finish that prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, not my passion, not my desire, not my wiring, but thine be done. Guys, we live in an incredibly selfish age and to see the church validating that selfish message, what gets you off then do it for God. Tell you what, it's bad theology. It's bad theology. So what is God all about? That might be the first time you've ever heard that. I hate to break the news. Live your life based on your passions. You'll chase your tail. You don't know how to fulfill yourself. None of us do. I sure didn't. I thought if I could surf enough and have enough girls, have enough ego-fulfilling experiences, that would be enough. It was never enough. And you know that already. You know that already. You've tried it in a guy. You've tried it in technology. You've tried it in a number of ways. We don't know how to fulfill ourselves. It's only as we fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus. What do you want to get done? Where do I fit into your big plan? There we find fulfillment. So what does he want to get done? Turn back to Matthew chapter 28. It's pretty simple. You've heard it before. This isn't new stuff. I have no new verses to share with you, but in Matthew chapter 28, as I said, my dad was in the Navy 45 years, and uh, one of the things uh, that you learn if you're raised in a household like that, you learn about following orders, and some of you guys may go into the military. You will all learn this. You always go on the last order. Last orders supersede all other orders. Even the U.S. legal profession understands that. The dying will and testament, the last will supersedes all previous wills. Everybody knows that the last thing said contained the utmost intent of the heart. So what is Jesus saying when he goes out the door? Let's look at it here. Just one instance in Matthew chapter 28 says this in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus has been crucified, buried, risen from the grave. He's standing there, hair like it was, you know, looked the same, same height, same eyes, same shaped nose, same everything. He had holes in his hands. He had a few beating marks on his face, I'm sure. But basically, very recognizable. But some doubted. Some doubted. Do you know, folks, I've heard many individuals say that, you know, if I only knew that God wanted me overseas, I'd go. That's just not true. The reality is Jesus could walk right through the back door and go down that aisle over there. Tanzania, Botswana, Uruguay, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Colombia, China, Mongolia. He could walk down the aisle, 50%, looking Jesus right in the eye. No, that's not enough. I need more. 
I need more. Let's not kid ourselves. We are incredibly skeptical. And we're incredibly scared. And we are incredibly in love with our plan. That's who we are. We are we, that's just who we are. It's a miracle of God when we can break out of those things that encrust us and encase us. Some doubted. Okay, that's, that's kind of you and me too at times. And then, then we get into the heart of the thing. Verse 18, it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Guys, this is incredible stuff. And I know for some of you, you've read that many, many times. It can be like white noise. All authority in heaven and earth. It's part of that great commission. Missions, conference, mumble jumble, authority in heaven and earth. White noise. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. White noise is weird. White noise. We had white noise in the jungle. You have white noise in your electronic booths. You have white noise all over the place. We have white noise in the summertime around here. I don't know what bugs happen around here. The white noise of the jungle was deafening at times. You heard it on the, on the little movie there, uh, walking through the jungle, the white noise of the cicada. You never, the cicadas, as soon as uh, it got a you know, certain temperature in the morning, the cicadas began to squeal, and they never stopped until the frogs took over in the evening. Then you have the frogs you know, for hours and hours. It's weird when there'd be an earthquake uh, in the jungles of New Guinea, uh, you would hear the earthquake coming. Way before you ever felt it, you would hear it coming. How do you hear an earthquake? Here's how. Because as the earthquake was moving towards you, the jungle would get quiet. The bugs would stop squealing and squeaking and making their noises. And you'd hear the silence coming at you. That's how loud the white noise was. The white noise was just that background music. You didn't even hear it anymore. Until it got quiet. Then you realized how loud it was. These words that Jesus has said here are in danger of becoming white noise. But this is the most powerful preamble in scripture. Jesus knew how to have preambles. He'd say things like, verily, verily, I say unto you. He who has ears to hear, let him listen. Jesus had things he commonly said. He never says this again. He never says this before. This is the one and only time this preamble is used in scripture. And it's powerful. He is now the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's king of kings, he's lord of lords, he's alpha and omega, and he's saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Do you know what he's saying? I got to translate the scriptures into the Italian language. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, Peter, James, John, sit down and shut up. I'm not starting a conversation with you. I'm not entering into a dialogue. I am the lord of lords, and I'm giving orders now. If we could understand this, this isn't a suggestion to, to, to fit into our life. These words he is about to say are meant to change the direction of those 11 and those who would follow. He's going to say something that's never been said before. He goes on. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And because that is the case, because that is true... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Lo, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. That's a skimmed down version. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. For some of you who are taking Greek 202, you might be saying, the go isn't in the command tense. Well, if you want to talk to me afterwards, you better have your passport ready. The whole thing's a command. The whole thing, there's nothing negotiable, there's nothing not mandatory. Go, baptize, teach, make disciples. That is the marching orders of you and I. And let me, please, can we just get ahead of some of the silly one-liners? One of them is, God doesn't care about where we're at, he just wants our heart. Isn't that so sweet? It's just not true. 
He does care about where we're at. This is radical stuff to the, to the first Israeli men there. They're standing there like, go, leave Israel, actually move our feet and get outside the bounds of this, this land that God's given to us. You've got to be kidding us. This is the land of promise. They were the most ethnocentric group of people that ever walked the earth. This is radical stuff. Leave Israel? You've got to be kidding. It'd be like if John stood up here next time we have chapel. Hey, we're going to do something different here, guys. We're going to worship God naked this morning. Guys in the back crowd, okay, John says to do it. Let's go. Let's get down here. Yeah. <clears throat> but you know, most of you would be saying, yeah, we don't think so. Whatever. <clears throat> Never heard that before. That goes against everything you know to be right and true. What Jesus is saying here, go and make disciples of all nations, goes against everything they knew to be right and true. There were even rabbinic sects that were disp- debating whether the Gentiles had a soul. And Jesus says, you leave Israel and you go to them. Location, your location matters. This is radical stuff. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't an idea he threw out there. You claim to be my followers. I want to be known and you are now my hands and feet. You're the vehicles I'm going to use to accomplish my purposes. Guys, that's what your God's all about. Turn over to, we could go to Mark 16, we don't have time. We could go to Luke 24, we could go to John 20 and see it again and again. Let's go over to Acts chapter 1 and we'll see now the very, very last time that Jesus was with his disciples. Acts chapter 1 is different than Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is on a mountainside in Galilee. Acts 1 is on a mountainside outside of Jerusalem. Two dramatically different locations. Jesus has the same message. This isn't a side thought. Folks, let me tell you, please don't count yourself among those who say, oh, I love Jesus. I love singing to Jesus. I love worshiping Jesus. I love reading his word. But I don't know about this missions thing. Your Savior, the one we're singing to, has a passion. Be like telling my wife, honey, I love you. I've loved living with you. I've loved having babies with you. I've loved serving with you. Love doing it. I just don't know about these children of yours. I don't know if I love them. I can't love my wife without loving the kids that came out of her. You can't love your Savior without loving what he's all about. You're kidding yourself. Can't do it, guys. You're falling more in love with him and what he's about, or it's really about us. So, guys, this thing that God has so clearly spoken of, this is what's on my heart. This is what I've, I left heaven. I led the way. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Again and again, he says this, Acts chapter 1, they're on this mountainside outside of Jerusalem. It says this in verse 6, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Very valid question. Are you going to make Israel a great nation now? Nothing wrong with their question. Nothing wrong with most of what we're doing today. It's not the right or wrong, but is it on target? There was nothing wrong with having a Bible study on end times. That's what the disciples wanted to enter into. A Bible study on end times. And you know what Jesus says? No. Not now. I've got one more thing I get to put into your ears. Let me tell you folks. If Jesus gets to appear in chapel next week. It's missions chapel again. If he gets to have the pulpit. Because this is the thing that's on our Savior's heart. And he replies to him in verse 7. He says, fellows, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, 
He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hit him from their sight. Our Savior's last words, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Do not hide behind. Location doesn't matter. All he wants is my heart. Location matters. He's all about being known to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, there are churches there. There are churches in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You don't live in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. That's bad exegesis. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria are three actual locations. He wasn't speaking in parabolic form here. He's speaking in the clear. They all have churches there. The ends of the earth. This morning, 3,100 language groups. You're the ones, guys. It's your task now. My generation is passing away. Our, our chance to do what we could has passed us over. Now it's in your hands. It's your generation now to step forward and say, like Isaiah did. He saw God's glory. And what did he do? Sing a song? No. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send you. Love to talk with you guys afterwards. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men and women that are here. May we do more than sing. May we do more than read your word. May we live out with all of our lives this thing that is on your heart, that you would be known, you would be honored, your name would be lifted up among all nations, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.